0: Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of the Woman of Color Summit podcast season two and we're your hosts Harpinder Mann and Irene Lowe.
1: Hey Harp, how are you doing today?
0: Hey Irene, I'm good. Um, I had mentioned in our um, New Moon in Taurus Gathering for the Women of Color Summit that I'm moving. Um, mm. Moving from New Orleans to the OC in California. So it's been um, just a time of a lot of transition, selling all my things, realizing also how many things I've accumulated. <laughs> mm. um, and yeah, just preparing for this cross-country move. Um and yeah, it's bringing up a lot of feelings, um, but something i I remind myself is like as long as we have our breath, um, we there's just so many opportunities to do so many things and to be able to get through whatever this thing is that's occurring.
1: yeah, moving is like such a big transition. like I moved last year and it was it took up like all of my mental emotional capacities so I'm really glad that you're almost at the finish line I know it's like almost at
0: the finish line of cutting out of New Orleans but then mm. actually like setting up a new home um, and like new relationships and like getting to know the landscape um, but I'm trying to give myself the grace of if it takes a few months like that's okay um, yeah. I feel like the old me would have been like, I need to have everything figured out right away versus now it's like, okay, like, try to create some space.
1: Yeah, not falling into the trap of urgency.
0: Yeah. And besides moving day for me, um, today, um, so when we recorded this conversation is May seventeenth. So it's also tax day in the U.S., um, Mm. a great joy for many people, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But something I wanted to bring attention to, Eliana Chenea is, um, Eliana Consenza Chenea is one of our mentors. We did a mentorship with her last year, but she had a post that I um, really resonated with where she said, and I'll I'll, I'll, like recap some of it, where it's like, it's tax day in the U.S., um, Do you support what your money is funding? And this really ties into um, what's happening right now in Palestine, where she points out, like, our tax dollars, the ones that we're giving to the government, are paying for Israel's occupation and bombing of Palestine through military aid. Um, So the U.S. is literally paying for um, and supporting Israel with guns and bombs and other things to attack Palestine. And it's like, how can we be conscious of what where our money is going um, and what are some ways that we can um, not support that? And like in her last slide... She gives a resource in like how to support or like let the government know that you don't support it. So calling your Senate governor and demanding defunding the the um, police and military spending and then calling the White House and demand the defunding of Israel military aid and an end to our colonization of all five territories. Um, And those five territories are Puerto Rico, the American Samoa, Guam, the Mariana Islands and the Virgin Islands.
1: Thank you for sharing that, Harp. There's been a lot of really great resources from a lot of great people. And there's just so much misinformation that I had growing up. I definitely felt that it was anti-Semitic. I definitely got this vibe that it was anti-Semitic if you did not support Israel. I think that that's why I'm so grateful right now for all of this a wealth of resources that really points out how clearly that Israel is simply a settler colony and it is an apartheid state. And so, you know, it's like, what are we really supporting here? We're supporting decolonization, literally, as well as uh, within us.
0: But I think that is a really astute point, Irene. Um, And I saw this tweet that, um, and a lot of the times I do find myself referencing other resources for these things. because. I am not an expert Um, Mm. and and so I'll touch on this, but I'll also touch on how this ties into um, our conversation with Dr. Lawrence Hunter. Um, But this tweet read, Americans understand if they muster up the courage to question Israel's illegal occupation, they would have to accept hard truths about the very land that they claim as their own. These colonial experiments are linked. One's existence will always justify the others.
1: Yeah, it is so true.
0: I, I think when we think about like the decolonization, we can't just like look, look at other places. Yep. like We have to literally yep. look at the lands that we're on yep. and how do we begin that process of decolonization and right relationship and giving back land and correcting these wrongs. And something that I've been seeing as an argument that is really troubling i'm not sure like i've been seeing people say like saying like oh yeah well that's just like like what happens in wars like there's a winner so like now people are like mad that the winner um has won all this land and stuff and they're demanding the winner give the land back and that's such an interesting way to look Mm. at things Mm. um and it's really troubling to me um and I, i don't know if you have any thoughts on that
1: irene I think that's really problematic if we're talking about the North America as we know it today because there was a system of treaties that European powers just ignored and did not abide by.
0: I think this conversation of us being like we're not experts ties in well into this conversation that we have with Dr. Lord's Hunter where this cost-benefit analysis of saying something wrong or saying nothing at all. We found ourselves with Dr. Hunter, um, sometimes feeling like, oh, are we stupid if we ask that question? um, And I think we need to move away from that. Like, for example, if you've never ridden a bike, you're going to fall. But sometimes in order to have these tough conversations, when we're talking about like collective liberation, liberation and um, marginalized communities is you need to have these conversations and hear from the people and and feel okay to look stupid or feel stupid for a little bit like that's the way to learn
1: yeah um
0: and something that Dr. Hunter touched on was like no one was, no one was patient to the marginalized voices, so I don't need to give you patience or grace. you need to do that
1: for yourself, yeah that was just such a powerful conversation what i found to be honest the most refreshing thing about the conversation was we're so focused on ourselves and how we're showing up in the world when we need to stop thinking about ourselves so much. Mm. And, you, you know, they're not wondering, oh, am I going to sound stupid, not liberal, not the person I think that I am? They're they're going around thinking maybe I will be misgendered or there will be physical harm done to me today simply by going outside. And so when you mm. think about that, like you sa- like Dr. Lloyde said, that cost-benefit analysis, it's like, yes, you will say the wrong thing. That's just what's going to happen when we are living under these systems of oppression. There are things in us that we are not aware. um, And that comes from our ignorance.
0: Yeah. And I think that comes from that space of, and I think we even mentioned this in the first podcast episode where like the mic needs to be handed to other folks. Um, mm. And something like Dr. Hunter talked about is like the centering and listening to the disenfranchised mm. and those targeted by systems of oppression to move to a world of collective liberation.
1: Yeah, because like even this like conversation and like this hand-wringing of like, oh my God, like, am I going to say the wrong thing? Like we are centering ourselves and doing that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And something I also liked in in relation to this conversation with Dr. Hunter, um, and this may have been something I mentioned, um, and Dr. Hunter was kind of just like, uh, no, Goddess was saying like the ridiculousness of like saying that you can't imagine a world without violence um, and how ridiculous that is. Um, like how do we dismantle these systems that we benefit from? Like." I benefit as a light skinned, able bodied, um, college graduated human being. Um, and these systems of capitalism reward what I have done up to this point in my life. So it's like, how do we still dismantle these systems that benefit us?
1: Yeah, no, so true, Harp. all really great points. And this episode is just phenomenal. We talk about definitions, such like, Abolition feminism, and why it matters, why we need to imagine a world free of incarceration. We also talked about racial capitalism as well. And we really hope that you enjoyed this episode this episode of the women of color summit podcast is sponsored by elaine lu Cartes. elaine lu Cartes, a sponsor of the women of color summit is a business and career coach for women of all colors and the founder of the color your dreams movement helping women of all colors create their legacy business elaine would love to gift everyone who is part of the women of color summit community two free gifts you just have to do Two things. Please follow her on Instagram at elaine lu underscore and DM her WOM, WOC summit, and she will share with you her six free word to word scripts to get high paying clients and her powerful legacy meditation.
0: Dr. Hunter, how are you doing today?
2: I am well, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm calling from the colonized land of Maryland, which was originally uh, the Piscataway people. Um, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to a spirited discussion.
0: Yes, we're so grateful and so excited to be chatting with you today. Um, For people that might not be familiar with you or your work, do you mind letting us know? I know titles can be hard, and I feel like even naming all the things you must be doing can be difficult, but anything that's calling out to you on the work that you do um, and the influence that you have.
2: Oh, um, I'm just the baddest bitch, you know. (laughs) So um, I'm the executive director and the uh, global initiatives officer, as well as the co-founder of Trans Women of Color Collective, which is a global organizing body that uplifts the narrative lives experiences and leadership of Black, Indigenous, queer people of color. Um, what else am I? I'm a scholar, innovator, creator. Um, I am working on a doctorate now in social work at the university of Southern California. I also have uh, honorary doctorates in humane letters, as well as master's degree in public administration and a bachelor's in social theory and change with concentrations in race, class, and gender studies. Um, I've taught all over the globe, led cultural exchanges and anthropological studies in many countries centering um, the narrative's leadership of Black trans people, queer people, and particularly on how they are um reimagining a world where we are centering feminist abolitionism abolitionist feminism mm. as well as critical race theory and social justice work mm. Mm.
0: that's amazing um We wanna touch on a lot of the things that you spoke about, but as a foray into something that you spoke about um, that we wanted to maybe start this conversation on is, um, we know that feminists do not all believe in the same thing. Um, In your words and in your work, what is your definition of abolition feminism and why is it necessary for our collective liberation?
2: For me, it's important for us to always be reimagining a world free from a carceral systems, uh, anti-blackness, mm. um, you know, the matrix of oppression, colonialism, capitalism—all the systems that really work to disenfranchise people who are not cis, who are not white, or have proximity to whiteness. And so, when we're thinking about abolitionist feminism, we're looking at that from a frame where we're um, centering those who have, who are targeted by state section violence mm-hmm. and not just centering them, but following their leadership, uh, listening to their voices and doing exactly what they're telling us to do in order for us to move towards a world where we can all experience collective liberation. Also understanding that these systems were not created by the people that are targeted targeted by them, right? They don't benefit from those systems. And so those who have that proximity to whiteness and white privilege and white supremacy must always be working towards dismantling those systems, abolishing those systems, and making sure we are following the leadership of those who are targeted by those systems or disenfranchised socioeconomically. So, in layman's terms, uh, <laughs> when we are talking about ableism, we are listening and following the leadership of those who are um, not able bodied or not have access to ableist basis. When we're Mm -hmm. talking about dismantling white supremacy, we are uh, following the leadership of those folks who are not white. When we're talking about dismantling transphobia and gender justice, we are centering those narratives of folks who are not uh, showered with desirability politics, who are not Mm -hmm. favored uh, by a system that uh, continues to enact violence uh, through these systems that are supported and sustained by government institutions.
0: Yeah, when we were looking at just this theme of the art of authentic living, which as we have more of these conversations is becoming more nuanced, um, something that kind of kept coming up over and over is there are folks that are not safe being their most authentic and liberated version of themselves. Um and I think that's when we're talking then about this like abolition feminism is how do we completely dismantle these systems that were never set up in the first place to benefit us? Um but something that I think we I, there's like the struggle of like, we can't even imagine what this new world would look like. Um, and for those, some people that might say like, I don't know what that looks like. What would you say to them?
2: Fuck you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: if you've ever been oppressed, if you ever had a foot on your neck, like imagine being able to breathe. I mean, this is, it's ridiculous when folks, and you know, and this is how, how um, internalized Uh, violence happens, right? Um, When we say that we can't imagine um, uh, a world without violence. I mean, like, if you've only eaten fried chicken, you may not be able to imagine what baked chicken tastes like, right? And you may think fried chicken is the greatest thing in the world. But once you have a piece of grilled chicken, barbecue chicken, jerk chicken, you will understand that fried chicken is not that great. It's not even good Mm. for it. Right. It's actually the one that will kill you. And that's how we need to see uh, the violences that we face, even like having a job. um, Capitalism has set it up, whereas having a job is this prize and folks who don't have jobs are somehow lazy, not worthy. not even uh, should have access to particular things, when in fact capitalism is a violent system that really creates a false sense of security. And one thing that you mentioned um, about people wanting to live their authentic selves or they can't live their authentic selves because they don't feel safe. And in actuality, they are made to feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. and unwelcomed, right? So we're putting, we're using our words, but putting the onus back on where it belongs. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a reason why people don't feel safe. You know, we can't just say that people don't feel safe without naming those reasons and in speaking them into existence. That enables us to see the contrast um, and what privilege is and what privilege actually does. So. Even folks who um, have jobs or who have access, who have homes, understand um, what it feels like to be under the pressure to actually live up to those expectations. And I really would, really would challenge people to think beyond their own experience. And that's even something that I had to do, even as a black, neurodivergent, gender non nonconforming, non-binary person. Even though I may be at the nexus uh, of oppression in the sense of those identities, I also need to recognize that you know I live in Chevy Chase, Maryland. You know I also have several degrees. You know I'm also what mm-hmm. some people may consider um, aligned with the gender binary in my appearance on how how I how the world may see me as as female or feminine or a woman, and so that affords me certain privileges. So and certain um, access, I should say. And so understanding even that we all have some access in some ways um, to systems that others Mm. do not. But what's important for us to not only recognize that access but also work every day to leverage that access. Um, How are we Mm. creating opportunities for others, uh, even as we work to dismantle the very systems that we benefit from. So I think that's where a lot of people have the problem in mm. thinking about imagining or reimagining a world where we all have access, is because that means that you're gonna have to actually give up the access that you have.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Just- <laughs> mm. I-, I mean that's just so
2: powerful and so true but but it makes sense like if me giving you a slice of my food on my plate means that you get to eat all i need is two Mm. delicious bites you know and and that that is that's what we need to be doing and it's that simple if you being Mm -hmm. happy if your happiness lies um and having access, and I have access, then it is my job, it is my right, it is my responsibility uh, to creating a culture um, of that reimagining that we're all talking about. um, For that to happen, that's what needs to be happening every day in everything that we do. Every time I take a bite, I need to be making sure someone else is getting a bite, or even a bigger bite, right, Mm -hmm. than what I have, because I will always have a bite. I will always have a full plate. So it's important for me mm-hmm. to make sure that at times I don't even need to eat. And these are all analogies, right? Because I know I have that access, because I know, mm-hmm. I know what has happened and what my life has been. And so every day, it, with every action, I'm working to create an opportunity for someone else, even greater than the opportunity that has been created for me. And that's where sustainability looks like. This
0: is in your email signature, signature but I, <laughs> so I'm i going to read something by you to you, but I think it's important because um, there is a lot of power behind it where it said, I don't want to be visible because I am trans. Um, and I can keep reading it unless you would like to finish it because it is, oh okay. Not, um,
1: not <laughs>
0: I want to be seen, affirmed, and celebrated as a whole damn person. I want to wake up without the threat of violence. I want to fall in love, raise a family, and pass down traditions as my grandma and mom passed to me. I want to thrive without fear. I don't want to have to tell you all about my pain for for you to then journey towards as understanding that trans folk deserve to breathe to live and thrive in a world that celebrates all of who we are humans and i thought that was so powerful because i feel like that's what we're all trying to work towards is being visible as a human being but that's also not possible without having these conversations like we're having right now around the different privileges that we hold. And I know even for myself, like having these conversations, like I feel uncomfortable. I like, there's this fear of like, I'm going to say the wrong thing, or I'm going to offend someone. But I think if we stay in this realm of like fear of saying the wrong thing, like we're never going to grow. And I think even for myself, like, I sense this like, oh, like, am I going to, offend someone because i don't know or i say the wrong thing and i think there there's a component of like moving away from that as well
2: you know you you can't if, if you've never ridden a bike and um you will never learn how to you're going to fall babe you're going to fall mm-hmm. you're going to scrape your knee you're going to hurt yes and you get back up and you get back on the bike um, and so you cannot have this fear of falling or hurting yourself because you're right, you will never grow. And you have to go into situations So yes, I'm going to fuck up. But what do we do when we fuck up? Bitch, we make it better. You know, we learn from that you know, we take those notes and we share that information so that others won't make those same mistakes. Or if they do decide to make those same mistakes, they will understand that, you know, there will be someone on that other end and their response to you will be reflective of how you handle the situation. If you don't handle it gracefully, um, and and I'm not saying gracefully as like, um, you know, Oh, I'm so sorry. I hurt your feelings. No, you have to name what you did and be accountable. Right, Mm -hmm. and you have to sustain that accountability through your actions with much which must be intentional and purposeful. You don't just get to say that you're sorry and move on Mm -hmm. because where's the learning? Right, how how are you reassuring that person that you understand the gravity of your actions and how that impacted them and how that can impact others? Um, you shouldn't be fearful uh, to make mistakes, you should expect them to happen. And but when, like I said, when you make a mistake, you just have the tools and the wherewithal to say, yeah, I, I messed that up and I was wrong. And I see exactly how that impacts you. And if you don't see exactly how that impacts somebody, then maybe you should just stay in the house until you learn some people skills. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not really difficult, but some people think that it is like, you know, if you like, if you misgender a dog, people are so quick to change the gender of a dog. But when you misgender a trans person, it's like, oh, I got to get used to that. Really, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm. And neither am I going to tolerate someone telling me that I need to be patient uh, mm. with their growth because nobody was patient mm. with me. Slavery was not patient. Mm. That penit was not patient. Nobody was patient with the thirty trans people who were murdered last year in this country. So no, I don't. I, I don't need to give you patience. I don't need to give you grace. You need to be patient with yourself and graceful with yourself to understand that you're going to make mistakes, and that you have the tools and the wherewithal to be accountable and to sustain those actions of accountability. You know, through, you know, and that's what's really important. And I think that's where the growth happens because trans people have to navigate those spaces every day. Black people have to navigate those spaces. Disabled, people able differently, we have to navigate those spaces every day. Um, and it's not about what harm are we gonna cause, it's more so how much harm is gonna happen to me today. Mm. How many times will I be misgendered? How many times will somebody just walk all over me when I'm just trying to go and get a gallon of milk? Mm -hmm. You know, how many times will my life be questioned, interrogated, you know, and, and scrutinized? when I'm just trying to go for a walk with my dog. And so we have mm-hmm. to leverage that and do that mm-hmm. cost benefit analysis every time we step outside the house. Will this be the day that somebody takes me out? But absolutely, we don't cannot live in those p- spaces of fear because we'll never leave the house. And that's not fair because these are not situations that we created, these were situations. These are situations that we have to navigate every single day. And we choose to, because we know we deserve every single thing. And if we have to take it by force, so be it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that's so powerful. And I think there's something to be said about the art of apologies and the art of accountability. I don't want to say stupid, but yeah, it does kind of seem stupid. That...
2: That's a word. <laughs> it has meaning. That's the word. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is, and it's that simple, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to break it down so people can under. It's really simple. You're just going to get a gallon of milk, but you've been interrogated. You've been scrutinized. Your whole identity has been ripped apart, and that doesn't just happen. It is. It doesn't just happen for Black trans. It happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. And this is why uh, to so many of us who are. In these places of enlightenment um, of conscious awareness I mean when you get to that place you are like oh yes it is that simple and yes this also happens to me mm. you know um but I think we've become complacent because of that proximity has afforded us mm. a little less pressure on the neck than the next person, right? And if I start to move that pressure off my neck, I don't know if it's gonna tighten, nine times out of 10 it will, right? Mm. But can I handle it being tightened? Well, the thing is when you start to adjust that pressure, there is a possibility that you will break that foot off your neck as well. Mm. And so that's again, that cost benefit analysis, what is it worth, you know? Mm. And for me, it is worth the struggle, because Mm. bitch, I I breathe freely and Mm. at will. Um, Even though, you know, when we, if you look at the identities that I hold on paper, uh, one may think, well, wow, Jesus Christ, how how does this person survive? Um, I don't survive, I thrive, that's how. Mm. And I just want that for everybody else as well, because it's no fun if my homies can't have none. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, that's such a good point. And I think this aspect of like collective liberation is like we want our community to be there with us Cause otherwise like, why are we doing this? Like, I don't wanna be sitting on my own with like all these resources. Cause like, what's the benefit? But it's interesting seeing some of these white folks that have all these resources. And there's this conversation of like money doesn't buy happiness. And like, look at this one white guy that has all this money, but is miserable. And it's like, well, how's that helping further along the conversation if that's the Mm -hmm. example?
2: He's not miserable because he has all this money. He's miserable because he's a male and he's white. <laughs> Just put it into context. People miss the context. They want to. They want to say they miss the context. They never yes. added, and I'm like, no, there's nuance, and we have to name that. We have to look at a broader, bigger picture um, when we have these conversations. I was uh, reading, um, doing a reading, a lecture. Or this professor's class I'm taking and he's a white cis man and I whatever so anyway he says you know talking about poverty and saying there's not enough money for everybody mm. <sighs> and I can't wait for class this week because I'm like what yeah <laughs> oh my gosh and I'm like no there is more than enough yeah, for yeah. everyone many many generations over and and this is a doctorate of social work program at a private white youth institution and I'm like are mm-hmm. we still having these conversations and sometimes it's so frustrating because I'm like y'all need to cut me a check in these classes mm-hmm. because I'm doing so much education here yeah. <laughs> What what a disservice for you to even say something. How are you a yeah. social worker? How, what? Yeah. And so for me, um, we but we have to express that disdain. We have to at every opportunity, and we have to make it laughable for people to understand that they are working within a paradigm that actually no longer exists. We've seen it demonstrated in Washington, DC last week with the storming of the Capitol. Mm. These people are trying to hold on to a reality that they see that is slipping from their very hand. Um, and what is actually happening is that the, the reality never existed in the first place. Mm. And so they're seeing that in action, like you actually saw white people threatening white people. You saw white people killing other white people. Like. That does not happen uh, in the manner in which it did. And it was shocking. You will see a lot of people of color and black people sitting back looking, hmm. <laughs> mm. <Yeah. laughs> like that one white woman said, I went into the Capitol and they maced me. And we was like, yes, they, that's all we did. <laughs> sis, that's all we did mace. you're still talking, you're still <laughs> walking around, you're not in cuffs, sis. You know, and that's just a snap. We're just like, hmm. You know, because like, we will protest and fight for the right to breathe and we'll lose our lives, right? Um, and now we are seeing people uh, protesting uh, a legitimate election. Uh, they're not even protesting the fact that they lost their jobs, that they're losing their business, that they don't have access to uh, resources to combat the impact of COVID-19. They're they're not even storming the Capitol for those reasons. And those things are actually happening, right? Those things actually impact their socioeconomic development. It impacts their livelihood. What they're protesting is not even impacting their livelihood. And it's laughable. It's, it's, It's hilarious to me. And I know that's not what we're talking about, but that's also What we're talking about, because that's white privilege. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it looks like. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even recognize the privilege that they have to be able to climb the walls of a federal building and not lose their lives. If it was black people, the whole building would have been bombed. They just would have said, let's just take them all out and worry about the rest later. So this is the privilege that we're talking about and that proximity to power that we're talking about that is embodied um, in in, in the lives of so many people. Now, I don't know if we'll ever reach those folk, but that's not my task. That's the task for maybe some folks like you to work with. Uh, I can recall someone asking me, when was I going to start a program for white trans people? And I was like, isn't every program for white trans people? (sighs) Mm. don't. What does that mean? How dare you now tell me a black trans woman to now use my re- the very little resources I have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: We've been talking um, about systems of power and a little bit about socioeconomic status. And I wanted to read a quote by Ruth Wilson Gilmore, which is that capitalism requires inequality, racism enshrines it. So. I guess our question is, um, you know, can we talk a little bit more about this term of racial capitalism and how it shows up and operates in the world?
2: Well, you have to also understand that you're asking a Black trans woman this question, right? Um, and for me, I see racism and capitalism as the same thing. They're mm-hmm. inextricably linked. They cannot function one without the other. And so I am wondering, if we're just making up new things to avoid talking about the things that we have yet to solve. So I'm just, and I'm like, and even as you're talking about it, I'm looking and I'm seeing all of these articles and things about racial capitalism. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't have to put them together for them to make sense. They they make sense on their own. We know exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. and And it's talking about extrapolating value from someone Oh, this is like for predominantly white institutions using non-white people to acquire social and economic value. This is not new. How does it operate in the world? Slavery, boo. I mean, Mm. we don't have to go far. Mm. Even when we see Biden bringing all these black people into his cabinet, like, but what is their analysis?
0: Mm.
2: You know, what is the praxis? What is their, people call it the track record. I'm really not interested in what you did. I'm interested in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so what is their analysis? What is their praxis around these particular issues that are really critical um, to us creating a just world, to us moving towards collective liberation? If you're asking me how these things show up, For instance, I go to a private white institution and I know that everything that I apply for in terms of speaking, engagements, in terms of conferences, in terms of anytime I'm trying to elevate the narrative of the work that I'm doing, they're going to select me simply because of the identities I hold and that's going to look good for them and their diversity quota. And I completely understand that, but I'm using this as an opportunity to form my own agenda because it's important for me to have my work published. Because in that work being published will be a whole bunch of Black trans non-academics who will never ever have their work uh, authenticated otherwise because that's exactly how my work was authenticated Mm -hmm. by other academics putting me in their research, making me editors and authors of the work that they were doing around state sanctioned violence and cultural appropriation and uh, narratives around Black trans women and Black trans issues. And so we understand how these systems have been using us and now are using these opportunities for our own good. Um, Yes, we should be creating our own institutions, but as we do that, we're going to fuck some shit up over there too. This idea of racial capitalism, again, is not something that's new, but I can see how people like to put, you know, put words together so that they can, it can be palatable, palatable you know the word, <laughs> For them, right, um, in particular settings. Like, yeah. this is not something that's new. This is something that has always happened. Even with when white slave owners would sleep with black women to make mulatto children. Like, mm. come on. <laughs> mm. But but a, a very, as I mentioned before, a very uh, present way in which that is happening is when we see Biden saying, oh, I have 15 Blacks. Or, for instance, all the LGBT people he's having in his cabinet. Like Someone sent me a, a, a question <clears throat> asking me, how do I feel about Biden putting some trans person in their cabinet or whatever? And I'm like, I'm interested in a person's praxis and their analysis around the issues that are important uh, in dismantling uh, oppressive systems. Mm. Um, it's not enough to just be a black person. I think he's um, a racist. I'm rooting for everybody black. Mm, not so much. <laughs> not so much. When I think about the violence that happens to black trans women, it's at the hands of black people and particularly cis black men. So I can't just root for someone who also wants me dead. That absolutely makes no sense at all. Mm. So, I think that mm. adding nuance and context to these terms is really important and critical. And particularly when you have someone like a Black trans woman sitting right in front of you saying, mm, Something's mm-hmm. not right. I feel like Kathy Bates in that movie, Misery. No, something's not right. <laughs> it's not right. Oh, that makes no sense at all. For instance, mm-hmm. like when my professor said, There's not enough money to go around. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure about that. So Mm -hmm. I love these questions and particularly it's great to pose them, continue to pose them to people who have a particular analysis and praxis around um, dismantling these systems of oppression, not just for them and people like them, but for all of us. Mm -hmm. I want to dismantle white supremacy for white people too. Mm -hmm. It's important for them to know that no, you are not better than everyone else, (laughs) darling.
1: (laughs)
0: that leads into um that net our next question on when it comes to that dismantling um and imagining a new world not only is it possible but we have to start now and i know people are currently doing the work you being one of them um what are ways that more of us particularly say women of color um actions or things that we can do to be more impactful? What are ways that we can help redistribute either resources or power to Black trans women?
2: www.twalk.us/.donate is the number one way you can do it. Mm. <laughs> uh, more importantly, not more importantly, because that is important, but equally mm. important, um, I think I know it is important for all of us uh, to leverage access to resources. Uh, to create opportunities for others. And I know folks were like, some folks can give money and give lots of money and they do it. And I encourage them to get all their friends to do it as well. It's not enough for you to give. It's Mm -hmm. also for you to activate those change agents around you. So you are creating a nexus um, of sustainability, but also leveraging your access to resources. Like you may know someone who is a great accountant, or or know someone who's a great builder or anything you never know until you know Mm. and you don't know what you don't know until you know it or i don't know how they say that but listen there's always ways for you for all of us to leverage what we have to create an opportunity for someone else um and also understanding that when you do pour into the lives of black trans women, you're not just pouring into the lives of black trans women, you're pouring into our families, our children, you're creating opportunities for us to then create opportunities for other folks that you will never ever meet um, in your lifetime simply because you know you don't have that that proximity, and that's okay um but what is what is important is to understand is that. Um, in leveraging your access to resources, a lot of people may not understand what that means. If you have two pieces of chicken, give away one.
1: Mm.
2: You know, mm. you know, that's just do that. If you, even if you have one piece of chicken, give it away, you'll get some more,
1: mm. and so, you know, mm. and
2: understand that, you know, and understand that as your responsibility, as someone who has proximity and access that that is what you should be doing um, every single day with everything that you do. Uh, And I promise you the higher power the universe will provide for you to have more. And I'm a living example of that. Um, I'll give everything I have away intentionally and with purpose just to wake up to another full plate the next day. Um, mm. And it, it, it's so miraculous to me. Um, there are times I can, I can gift $1,000 and turn around, and some wonderful donor will have given me 5000 And I'm like, let me give some of that away too, because I see yeah. how this works. <laughs> how it works! <laughs> 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 and so, you know, and I think that that's important. And when we see ourselves as blessings, you become blessed to be a blessing and you will see your life sustained in ways that you could never even imagine simply because you decided to be a blessing to someone else.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I feel like sometimes that's not a message we hear enough Mm. where it's like, if we continue to bless others like more blessings are going to come upon us and that's just the way the world works instead of like believing like we need to hoard and like keep for ourselves and someone's going to steal it from behind our back and it's like no that's there's so much fear behind that and instead if we work in this way that you're describing it's just so much beautiful more beautiful and i feel like it follows the system of nature
2: and you can't equate the blessings like you can't say oh i gave somebody $1000 so i'm expecting 5000 back yeah your blessing may be breath mm. your blessing may be that you're in a loving relationship
1: mm.
2: so you have to your blessing may be that you get to choose if you have fish or chicken tonight mm. and so understanding how blessings manifest Right. And not trying to do things for a thank you or, like I say, ally cookies, because, you know, people will say, well, I did this and I did that and I, I didn't bake any cookies for you. <laughs> this is what you're supposed to be doing as a yeah. human, yeah. as someone who is part of the great circle of life. Um, and not because black trans women are dying, not because black trans women can't get jobs, not because black trans women are disproportionately impacted by state sanctioned violence and you feel sorry for them. No, but because this is what we're supposed to be doing mm. as creators, as part of creation. Mm. Um, this is our duty to the earth, to future generations, uh, to be able to cultivate and plant seeds. Um, because the harvest will come. Um, mm. And you want it to be bountiful. And so the only way that you can do that is if you plant seeds. And those seeds can man- will manifest. And they manifest as blessings to others, as blessings to the universe. Um, And so that's important as well. Um, It's not always monetary and your blessings are not always, the gifts that you give to others are not always monetary. Mm. You know, you'd be surprised what a smile can do. I know we all wear a mask and social distancing. But I've been out and have been feeling horrible or feeling the type of way or may have been being harassed or interrogated for my identity and someone else may have come on and given a smile or given a nod or did something to put their life on the line, to save mine. Um, And blessings manifest that way as well. Um, There was this one time I was feeling horrible one morning and I got an email message from a a young lady in Virginia telling me that she had a trans daughter, black trans daughter, and she was terrified that her child was going to be murdered and terrified that her child was not going to have um, success in school and terrified that, you know, of all the possibilities um, that lay await for her daughter, her black trans child. But she said she came across Transform the Color Co- Collective's website and came across our Facebook page. And her whole perspective changed mm-hmm. simply by watching some videos that I did. She was like, it's possible my daughter will be just like you. I said, baby, it's possible that your daughter will be greater than anything I've ever become. <laughs> and, that's, and she was like, baby, I, you're right. I said, absolutely. I, the, our possibilities are endless. When we're able to show up affirmed and celebrated in our authentic selves, we'll be blessing people that we don't even know that it's happening. Um, So you could be a blessing without even knowing it. So it's always important to understand that every day is an opportunity. Every moment is an opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. Or, you know, a curse to yourself if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because that energy, it comes back. You put out that negative energy, I promise you. You know, because I know as hard as I'm working to be a blessing, there are people working equally as hard to tear this down, to tear me down. Mm -hmm. And so it's important uh, that we smile if that's how we bless others, that we give a kind word if that's how we bless others, Mm -hmm. that we redistribute resources and particularly wealth If that's how we have the capacity to bless others.
1: For our listeners tuning in, um, what are ways that they can support you and the work that you do?
2: Absolutely, you can go over to our website twocc.us to learn about our amazing projects that we're doing here in the U.S. and across the globe and Most importantly, you can click that Donate button, uh, become a sustainer, a monthly donor, get your friends to donate and support our work. We would love to have you join the family.
0: I know that um, us as a part of the Women of Color Summit will definitely be supporting in any way that we can. Um, You do tremendous work. Um, So thank you again so much, Dr. Hunter. And thank you to everyone that tunes into this conversation. Bye. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes. This helps us get it in front of more folks. Thank you so much, bye.